Section 16 of The Charwoman's Daughter by James Stevens. Chapters 31 and 32. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read for you by Michelle Fry, Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Chapter 31. When the young man who lodged with Mrs. Cafferty came in on the following day, he presented a deplorable appearance. His clothes were torn, and his face had several large strips of sticking plaster on it, but he seemed to be in a mood of extraordinary happiness notwithstanding, and proclaimed that he had participated in the one really great fight of his lifetime, that he wasn't injured at all, and that he wouldn't have missed it for a pension." Mrs. Cafferty was wild with indignation and marched him into Mrs. Make-Believe's room, where he had again to tell his story and have his injuries inspected and commiserated. Even Mr. Cafferty came into the room on this occasion. He was a large, slow man, dressed very comfortably in a red beard. His beard was so red and so persistent that it quite overshadowed the rest of his wrappings and did indeed seem to clothe him. As he stood, the six children walked in and out of his legs and stood on his feet in their proper turns without causing him any apparent discomfort. During the young man's recital, Mr. Cafferty every now and then solemnly and powerfully smote his left hand with his right fist and requested that the aggressor should be produced to him. The young man said that as he was coming home, the biggest man in the world walked up to him. He had never set eyes on the man before in his life, and thought at first he wanted to borrow a match or ask the way to somewhere, or something like that, and accordingly he halted, but the big man gripped him by the shoulder and said, "'You damned young whelp!' and then he laughed and hit him a tremendous blow with his other hand. He twisted himself free of that and said, "'What's that for?' and then the big man made another desperate clout at him. A fellow wasn't going to stand that kind of thing, so he let out at him with his left and then jumped in with two short arm jabs that must have tickled the chap. That fellow didn't have it all his own way, anyhow. The young man exhibited his knuckles, which were skinned and bleeding, as evidence of some exchange. But, he averred, you might as well be punching a sack of coal as that man's face. In another minute they both slipped and rolled over and over in the road, hitting and kicking as they sprawled. Then a crowd of people ran forward and pulled them asunder. When they were separated, he saw the big man lift his fist, and the person who was holding him ducked suddenly and ran for his life. The other folk got out of the way, too, and the big man walked over to where he stood and stared into his face. His jaw was stuck out like the seat of a chair, and his moustache was like a bristle of barbed wire. The young man said to him, "'What the hell's wrong with you to go bashing a man for nothing at all?' And all of a sudden the big fellow turned and walked away. "'It was a grand fight altogether,' said the youth, but the other man was a mile and a half too big for him. As this story proceeded, Mrs. Make-Believe looked once or twice at her daughter." Mary's face had gone very pale, and she nodded back a confirmation of her mother's conjecture, but it did not seem necessary or wise to either of them that they should explain their thoughts. The young man did not require either condolences or revenge. He was well pleased at an opportunity to measure his hardihood against a worthy opponent. He had found that his courage exceeded his strength, 
as it always should for how could we face the gods and demons of existence if our puny arms were not backed up by our invincible eyes and he displayed his contentment at the issue as one does a banner emblazoned with merits mrs make-believe understood also that the big man's action was merely his energetic surrender as of one who instead of tendering his sword courteously to the victor hurls it at him with a malediction and that in assaulting their friend he was bidding them farewell as heartily and impressively as he was able so they fed the young man and extolled him applauding to the shrill winding of his trumpet until he glowed again in the full satisfaction of heroism he and mary did not discontinue their evening walks of this mrs make-believe was fully cognizant and although she did not remark on the fact she had been observing the growth of their intimacy with a care which was one part approval and one part pain for it was very evident to her that her daughter was no longer a child to be controlled and directed by authority her little girl was a big girl she had grown up and was eager to undertake the business of life on her own behalf but the period of mrs make-believe's motherhood had drawn to a close and her arms were empty she was too used now to being a mother to relinquish easily the prerogatives of that status and her discontent had this justification and assistance that it could be put into definite words fronted and approved or rejected as reason urged by knowledge and thought we will look through a stone wall if we look long enough for we see less through eyes than through time time is the clarifying perspective whereby myopia of any kind is adjusted and a thought emerges in its field as visibly as a tree does in nature's mrs make-believe saw seventeen years apprenticeship to maternity cancelled automatically without an explanation or a courtesy and for a little time her world was in ruins the ashes of existence powdered her hair and her forehead then she discovered that the debris was valuable in known currency the dust was golden her love remained to her undisturbed and unlikely to be disturbed by whatever event and she discovered further that parentage is neither a game nor a privilege but a duty it is astoundingly thought the care of the young until the young can take care of itself it was for this freedom only that her elaborate care had been necessary her bud had blossomed and she could add no more to its bloom or fragrance nothing had happened that was not natural and whoso opposes his brow against that imperious urgency is thereby renouncing his kind and claiming a kinship with the wild boar and the goat which they too may repudiate with leaden foreheads there remained also the common human equality not alone of blood but of sex also which might be fostered and grow to an intimacy more dear and enduring more lovely and loving than the necessarily one-sided devotions of parentage her duties in that relationship having been performed it was her daughter's turn to take up hers and prove her rearing by repaying to her mother the conscious love which intelligence and a good heart dictates this given mrs make-believe could smile happily again for her arms would be empty only for a little time 
the continuity of nature does not fail saving for extraordinary instances she sees to it that a breast and an arm shall not very long be unoccupied and consequently as mrs make-believe sat contemplating that futurity which is nothing more than a prolongation of experience she could smile contentedly for all was very well chapter thirty two the final chapter if the unexpected did not often happen life would be a logical scientific progression which might become dispirited and repudiate its goal for very boredom but nature has cunningly diversified the methods whereby she coaxes and coerces us to prosecute not our own but her own adventure beyond every corner there may be a tavern or a church wherein both the saint and the sinner may be entrapped and remoulded beyond the skyline you may find a dynamite cartridge a drunken tinker a mad dog or a shilling which some person has dropped and any one of these unexpectednesses may be potent to urge the traveller down a side street and put a crook in the straight line which has been his life and to which he had become miserably reconciled the element of surprise being accordingly one of the commonest things in the world we ought not to be hypercritical in our review of singularities or say these things do not happen because it is indisputable that they do happen that combination which comprises a dark night a highwayman armed and hatted to the teeth and myself may be a purely fortuitous one but will such criticism bring any comfort to the highwayman and the concourse of three benevolent millionaires with the person to whom poverty can do no more is so pleasant and possible that i marvel it does not occur more frequently i am prepared to believe that on the very lightest assurance that these things do happen but are hushed up for reasons which would be cogent enough if they were available mrs make-believe opened the letter which the evening's post had brought her she had pondered well before opening it and had discussed with her daughter all the possible people who could have written it the envelope was long and narrow it was addressed in a swift emphatic hand the tail of the letter m enjoying a career distinguished beyond any of its fellows by length and beauty the envelope, moreover, was sealed by a brilliant red lion with jagged whiskers and a simper, who threatened the person daring to open a missive not addressed to him with the vengeance of a battle-axe, which was balanced lightly but truculently on his right claw. This envelope contained several documents purporting to be copies of extraordinary originals, and amongst them a letter which was read by Mrs. Make-Believe more than ten thousand times or ever she went to bed that night. It related that more than two years previously one Patrick Joseph Brady had departed this life, and that his will, dated from a multitudinous address in New York, devised and bequeathed to his dearly beloved sister, Mary Eileen Make-Believe, otherwise Brady, the following shares and securities for shares, to wit, and the thereinafter mentioned houses and messuages, lands, tenements, hereditaments, and premises, 
that was to say and all household furniture books pictures prints plate linen glass and objects of vertu carriages wines liquors and all consumable stores and effects whatsoever then in the house so and so and all money then in the bank and thereafter to accrue due upon the therein before mentioned stocks funds shares and securities mrs make-believe wept and besought god not to make a fool of a woman who was not only poor but old the letter requested her to call on the following day or at her earliest convenience to the above address and desired that she should bring with her such letters and other documents as would establish her relationship to the deceased and assist in extracting the necessary grant of probate to the said will and it was subscribed by Messrs. platitude and glomb solicitors commissioners for oaths and protectors of the poor to the chambers of these gentlemen mrs make-believe and mary repaired on the following day and having produced the letters and other documents for inspection the philanthropist platitude and glomb professed themselves to be entirely satisfied as to their bona fides and exhibited an eagerness to be of immediate service to the ladies in whatever capacity might be conceived mrs make-believe instantly invoked the pragmatic sanction she put the entire matter to the touchstone of absolute verity by demanding an advance of fifty pounds her mind reeled as she said the astounding amount but her voice did not a check was signed and the clerk dispatched who returned with eight five-pound notes and ten sovereigns of massy gold Mrs. Make-Believe secreted these, and went home, marveling to find that she was yet alive. No trams ran over her. The motor-cars pursued her, and were evaded. She put her hope in God, and explained so breathlessly to the furious street. One cyclist who took corners on trust, she cursed by the ineffable name, but instantly withdrew the malediction for luck and addressed his dwindling back with an eye of misery and a voice of benediction. For a little time neither she nor her daughter spoke of the change in their fortunes, saving in terms of illusion. They feared that, notwithstanding their trust, God might hear and shatter them with his rolling laughter. They went out again that day furtively and feverishly, and bought. But on the following morning, Mrs. Make-Believe returned again to her labor. She intended finishing her week's work with Mrs. O'Connor. It might not last for a week. She wished to observe that lady with the exact particularity, the singleness of eye, the true, candid, critical scrutiny which had hitherto been impossible to her. It was, she said to Mary, just possible that Mrs. O'Connor might make some remark about soap. It was possible that the lady might advance theories as to how this or that particular kind of labor ought to be conducted. Mrs. Make-Believe's black eyes shone upon her child with a calm peace, a benevolent happiness rare indeed to human regard. In the evening of that day, Mary and the young man who lodged with their neighbor went out for the walk which had become customary with them. The young man had been fed with an amplitude which he had never known before, so that not even the remotest slim thread, shred, hint, echo, or memory of hunger remained with him. He tried but could not make a dent in himself anywhere, and consequently he was as sad as only a well-fed person can be. 
now that his hunger was gone he deemed that all else was gone also his hunger his sweetheart his hopes his good looks for his injuries had matured to the ripe purple of the perfect bruise all were gone 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 he told it to mary but she did not listen to him to the rolling sky he announced it and it paid no heed he walked beside mary at last in silence listening to her plans and caprices the things she would do and buy the people to whom gifts should be made and the species of gift uniquely suitable to this person and to that person the people to whom money might be given and the amounts and the methods whereby such largesse could be distributed hats were mentioned and dresses and and the new house somewhere a space embracing somewhere beyond surmise beyond geography they walked onwards for a long time so long that at last a familiar feeling stole upon the youth the word food seemed suddenly a topic worthy of the most spirited conversation his spirits arose he was no longer solid space belonged to him also and it was in him and of him and so there was a song in his heart he was hungry and the friend of man again now everything was possible the girl was she not by his side the regeneration of ireland and of man that could be done also a little leisure and everything that can be thought can be done even his good looks might be returned to him he felt the sting and tightness of his bruises and was reassured exultant he was a man predestined to bruises they would be his meat and drink and happiness his refuge and sanctuary for ever let us leave him then pacing volubly by the side of mary and exploring with a delicate finger his half-closed eye which until it was closed entirely would always be half-closed by the decent buffet of misfortune his ally was to stay with hunger and there is no better ally for any man that satisfied and the game is up for hunger is life ambition goodwill and understanding while fullness is all those negatives which culminate in greediness stupidity and decay so his bruises troubled him no further than as they affected the eyes of the lady wherein he prayed to be calmly bruises unless they are desperate indeed will heal at the last for no other reason than that they must the inexorable compulsion of all things is toward health or destruction life or death and we hasten our joys or our woes to the logical extreme it is urgent therefore that we be joyous if we wish to live our heads may be as solid as is possible but our hearts and our heels shall be light or we are ruined as to the golden mean let us have nothing to do with that thing at all it may only be gilded it is very likely made of tin of a dull color and a lamentable sound unworthy even of being stolen and unless our treasures may be stolen they are of no use to us it is contrary to the laws of life to possess that which other people do not want therefore your beer shall foam your wife shall be pretty and your little truth shall have a plum in it for this is so that your beer can only taste of your company you can only know your wife when someone else does and your little truth shall be savored or perish do you demand a big truth ah then o oh ambitious you must turn aside from all your companions and sit very quietly 
and if you sit long enough and quiet enough, you'd may come to you. But this thing alone of all things you cannot steal, nor can it be given to you by the county council. It cannot be communicated, and yet you may get it. It is unspeakable, but not unthinkable, and it is born as certainly and unaccountably as you were yourself and is of just as little immediate consequence. Long, long ago, in the dim beginnings of the world, there was a careless and gay young man who said, Let truth go to hell, and it went there. It was his misfortune that he had to follow it. It is ours that we are his descendants. An evil will either kill you or be killed by you, and the reflection is comforting. The odds are with us in every fight waged against humanity by the dark or elemental beings. But humanity is timid and lazy, a believer in golden means and subterfuges and compromises, loath to address itself to any combat until its frontiers are virtually overrun and its cities and granaries and places of refuge are in jeopardy from those gloomy marauders in that wide struggle which we call progress evil is always the aggressor and the vanquished and it is right that this should be so for without its onslaughts and depredations humanity might fall to a fat slumber upon its corn sacks and die snoring or alternatively lacking these valorous alarms and excursions it might become self-satisfied and formularized and be crushed to death by the mere dull density of virtue next to good the most valuable factor in life is evil by the interaction of these all things are possible and therefore or for any other reason that pleases you let us wave a friendly hand and in the direction of that bold bad policeman whose thoughts were not governed by the book of regulations which is issued to all recruits and who in despite of the fact that he was enrolled among the very legions of order had that chaos in his soul which may give birth to a dancing star as to mary even ordinary workaday politeness frowns on too abrupt a departure from a lady particularly one whom we have championed thus distantly from the careful simplicity of girlhood to the equally careless but complex business of adolescence the world is all before her and her chronicler may not be her guide she will have adventures for everybody has she will win through with them for everybody does she may even meet bolder and badder men than the policeman shall we then detain her i for one having urgent calls elsewhere will salute her fingers and raise my hat and stand aside and you will do likewise because it is my pleasure that you should she will go forward then and do that which is pleasing to the gods for less than that she cannot do and more is not to be expected of any one thus far the story of mary make-believe and the end of the charwoman's daughter authored by james stevens and first published in nineteen twelve this book has been read for you by michelle fry baton rouge louisiana in april two thousand twenty it's a sweet little story and i hope you've enjoyed it